This edition of Farm in the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farm in the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCray. It's a two-part show this week. We take a look at the future of state fairs. What changes can we expect in a post-COVID world? And what are the new challenges fairs and festivals are facing? Plus, we talk with a national FFA officer who recalls the most unusual way to be installed into office and how FFA is changing to adapt to a myriad of school, state, and national COVID protocols. Those items and more are our topic on this week's Farming the Countryside. And it's brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. In 2020, I had the chance to use a new corn nitrogen product firsthand in my fields, Pivot Bioproven. Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's the weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable, more productive yields than ever before. After a successful trial run in 2020, I hope you'll follow me on an expanded use of Pivot Bioproven in the 2021 growing season. In fact, we have that corn in the ground now, and it's already beginning to emerge. It'll be interesting to see what we find, and I'll be sharing those results with you throughout the season. If you're like me and want to make sure your corn has the nitrogen it needs, whether or not, then check out Pivot Bioproven. It'll change the way you think about nitrogen. You can learn more at pivotbio.com. In 2020, many local and state fairs had to cancel their events. If they did hold programs, they often looked much different than in 2019. So what can we expect in 2021? Will it be back to the good old days, so to speak, or will things have changed? What challenges still must be overcome? The answers to some of those questions were different than what I had thought they might be. My guest in the first half of the show is Mark Wolf, director of the Missouri State Fair. And we discussed not only that annual event in Sedalia, Missouri, but what his counterparts are facing across the country. Mark, take me back to last year. You know, fairs and festivals changed quite a bit. What happened in Missouri, for those that don't know, because we have people listening from far and wide to this? (laughs) Well, you know, everything changed. you know, uh, early on, I guess, what, March, when, when uh, you know, we first start hearing about COVID, you know, nobody knew, you know, what, what they were going to do moving forward, how, you know, how serious that was going to be. And, you know, it rapidly became a, um, a real issue for any kind of gathering that brought people together, uh, certainly like our fairs and festivals do. So, um, you know, early on um, here at the State Fair, we started looking at, uh, you know, and listening to what the county's health folks were saying, what the CDC was saying it quickly became apparent we weren't really ready and equipped to uh, face that. Um, and so uh, early on in the spring, we, we canceled or postponed uh, off-season events, uh, you know, other events that go on out here other than the annual fair. And, um, you know, as we went along, I think about 13 weeks, we didn't have any events out here. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we were still planning on a full fair that we had not been given notice that we couldn't. Um, but, of course, as the summer went and everybody knows, you know, you start to see more people be tested numbers start going up, and it really changed the game. And I think for, you know, our county fair folks that had fairs earlier in the summer, uh, very little time to make a decision. And most of them made probably what everybody would believe was the right decision. Hey, you know, we don't know, so let's don't risk it. 
Um, you know, for the state fair, you know, the plan was to try to make it happen. Uh, by then, you're getting a lot of, um, you know, by the time we get into midsummer, we, we're getting a lot of information from the CDC about uh, about the whole disease, uh, you know, precautions and things like that. And, and on our end, we started looking at, okay, if we're moving forward, here's some things we don't have to deal with that. So we're going to have to make some investment. And uh, so we purchased some fogging machines. Uh, we started looking for the chem- the correct chemicals to, to do that with. Um, uh, we started reading up on this stuff a little bit so that we got informed and, you know, looked at the, the way that we normally did our janitorial during the fair and realized pretty quickly that, you know, just wiping things down with the disinfectant, quickly you know in between people coming in out of restrooms was probably not going to be sufficient um so we worked hard to put together a plan and a schedule and we were going to post schedule so we were informing the public and we just did a whole lot of things like that gearing up towards you know we have to be prepared and then of course uh i think about what uh, the 17th of july there we pulled the plug on the on the on the idea of a full fair but then went ahead with our youth youth livestock event which by the way was highly successful um as far as I know, uh, we never heard back from anyone that, uh, uh, you know, caught the caught COVID during that time span. So that's good news. Uh, you know, I'm going to guess uh, we didn't do attendance because we didn't charge admission. But, um, you know, we probably had well over 20,000 people in and out of here over those 11 days. And, um, you know, kind of odd. And you and I talked about this. You know, our, our numbers were actually up for our youth exhibitors, which was a good sign. It was, was great to see. Uh, kids had, had a blast. Uh, had a lot of parents come up to us uh, towards the end of the event thanking us, asking us if we could just do them all like that. You know, could we skip the rest of the parts that made it harder to get around? And, uh, of course, when I told them it was going to cost them $5,000 to enter or steer so we could pay the bills, they didn't think that was such a great idea. So, uh, you know, just some challenges that come along with what we did and the way we did it. Uh, obviously, it cost the fair a lot of money, and so we've kind of struggled through the financial things uh, that go along with that over the over the year uh we're turning the we're turning the corner on that and uh you know the goal is moving forward we're gonna we're going we're going full blast we're going to have a fair as normal as normal is you know you mentioned the financial side do you think most fairs and festivals across the nation are they going to be able to weather the storm and and get back to it this year and and be able to overcome that or how did a lot uh, of them handle it do you think you know um just because of the nature of what I do and who I who we associate with in, in the fair industry, you know, have a lot of conversations with the folks in Iowa and Minnesota and, and a lot of fairs, state fairs are a lot bigger than us. And, you know, it's kind of unique. Um, everybody's loss that they suffered was um, um, it was easy to, to look back at that versus the kind of income those kinds of fairs bring in. And it, so in a percentage wise, it was probably the same across the board. You know, you didn't have the fair. The amount of lost revenue is correlates right back to the to your expenses you know that what you do the, the number of staff uh, you know the size of your facility and the expenses that it takes to, to put on a fair so um you know we just uh, just kind of really just had to look at that knuckle down and say this is uh you know this is what we can do this is what we can't we're going to wait this out uh you know we we obviously had contracts for events non-fair events uh, through the winter and through this spring so you couldn't just lay folks off and wait it out uh, we still had to be here and take care of the facility uh, yes we would have events thinking that they were coming and last minute people would cancel hey, we're not ready we don't think we can do this safely so i think everybody was affected by that no no doubt and and um you know from a financial situation or you know viewpoint i guess um it's been a rough year 
but uh, we, we, we survived it, and, um, you know, we're moving forward. Obviously, for us, we, we, you know, we have a governor that loves the state fair. Uh, there was a commitment from, from those folks in Jeff City that if we would move forward and do what we did last summer with youth livestock, uh, they would work to get us those, those lost revenue, that lost revenue back. So um, we're working through that right now. We're going to get it, so we're excited about that, and the fairs, uh, we're in good shape. Everybody's moving forward, looking forward to, as I said, having a, having a normal fair. <laughs> We're still about three months away from the fair here as we speak. Do you have a feel for any things that will, will change uh, as we look forward to it? Uh, or will we? you think we'll be back to fairs as we used to know them, I guess, a couple of years ago? You know, I guess we're probably a little bit fortunate. Our fair's not till August. Um, you know, if you listen to what's going on with vaccines, uh, there's no reason for anybody that uh, wants a vaccine that they couldn't get one at this point. Uh, you know, with that in mind, I, I see no reason for us to have to worry about that at that point. Um, you know, uh, you know, that's just kind of the, the view that we've taken of this. Uh, you know, where our staff's being vaccinated, and, uh, I have my second shot tomorrow. So, you know, we're going to get myself wrapped up on that end of that. And um, overall, you know, I think it's out there. It's, it's available. If, if folks will go do that and uh, get that behind them, you know, then we know we don't have anything to worry about moving forward. You mentioned labor, and that's something that we hear about in different places, but that could be a real uh, challenge for a lot of fairs, it sounds like. I think that may be the biggest challenge we got coming into to this summer, and I think it's going to be that way for across the board. Um, you know, our carnival uh, folks uh, and, and a lot of our professional concessionaires use the, the federal H-2B program, uh, you know, for workers coming in from, from other countries, and, and that's an allocation by the federal government that says this is how many – we're going to allow, and they can add to that, and, and, and they're really kind of behind where they need to be on those numbers. So it's going to be a challenge for those folks. Uh, and these are jobs that, you know, in general, you know, U.S. citizens don't really <laughs> run after, I guess. And, and so they have a very good workforce. It's, it's uh, you know, those folks come in, they're all documented, and when they're done, they go home. Uh, so it's a great program, but that's a challenge for those folks. Obviously, on our end, you know, here at the Missouri, we, we're, we're going to be looking to hire somewhere around 900 people probably. Um, uh, for the fair, and, and I think it's going to be a challenge. You know, um, you and I mentioned in a conversation earlier, you know, we've got some local businesses and restaurants that aren't even staying open five days a week just because they can't get enough help. So it's going to be a challenge. I, you know, we're just at that point right now. Where we're ready to start doing that. Uh, I hope it doesn't jump up and bite us. Um, you know, obviously we, we try to do it with as little staff as we can, but it's a lot to cover over 11 days and, you know, want people to come in and, you know, you want those bathrooms clean and you want the barns clean and you got to have all this stuff done. And, um, and it's long, hard hours for folks to come in and do it. And so, you know, I, I think we have a challenge in front of us. It's probably hard to know at this point, but you had increased numbers to show last year. Do you think that continues? Do we, did we get a lot of youth showing last year and now they continue doing this? Or what do you think is going to happen? You know, uh, you're right. We, we were up, I don't know, 4 or 5%, I guess, maybe in, in uh, youth exhibits last year or exhibitors. Um, you know, I'd like to see that stay up there and increase. I think uh, it's something that um, – you know, it's a big deal. You know, obviously, if you if you follow fairs very closely at all, that you know, exhibiting livestock is is a big deal. So, um, you know, I expect that the numbers will be good. I think folks uh, really want to go back to having a full fair. You know, and things everybody wants it to go back to normal. I mean, let's just be honest. That's that's what we all crave at this point. Can we just forget about COVID nineteen and and get back to what uh, what we know? So, 
I, I believe that, uh, you know, our numbers are going to be good. I think our attendance is going to be good. You know, if we can get Mother Nature to cooperate, uh, gosh, we had 11 of the most beautiful days I've ever seen in Missouri in August, and I've lived in Missouri my entire life, uh, and we had them last year and then didn't have a regular fair. So uh, couldn't ask for it to be any better. If we could have that again and have a full fair, you know, we're all going to get uh, a little recovery out of this. So, um you know, I expect numbers to be good. I expect our exhibitors uh, and our ex- exhibitor families will be ready to go again. And, uh, you know, we, we're we expecting, a, you know, a really, really good fair. As you talk to some of your counterparts across the country, do they feel pretty excited about this year? I mean, obviously you'd be excited just to be able to get back going, but what are you hearing from other folks? Well, you know, the fairs that have voiced that they're moving forward, you know, in a, in a, in a full fair, uh, you know, I think what they've seen, some of them start this earlier, but, uh, you know, a good example was, uh, you know, the, the other day was talking with Gary Slater in Iowa and, you know, they talked about opening up their, their concert ticket sales and they sold 89,000 concert tickets in a matter of no time whatsoever. And their fair dates are the same as ours in August. So, um, you know, they were beside themselves excited about what that, you know, projected for where they were going with the fair this year so you know i i think um you know we're gonna be hopeful i guess is is the main thing you know we're we're looking at things that we can do to make our fair bigger and better and more exciting this year you know we want people to come and go wow i'm glad it's back and it was an awesome fair uh so our staff is working hard on that right now we've we've kind of worked our way through those things that we have to take care of uh, schedules and all the things that we have to do there and now it's a you know it's a mad dash to look at you know what's what's our wow factor going to be what are we, what are we doing that people you know are going to walk away from that fair and go yeah i saw that they have that area but man you should have seen this you know that's what you're always looking for it will be nice to hit some state fairs this year which should hopefully resemble what they were a couple of years back but perhaps with some changes as well in the second half of our show this week, I had a chance to catch up with one of the current National FFA officers, Paxton Dahmer. He was in Sedalia at the same time I was visiting with Fair Director Mark Wolf as the Missouri FFA shifted their annual convention to the state fairgrounds there to conduct a more socially distanced state convention. Last year's National FFA convention was virtual, and that meant that the new national officers were not in one location, but rather scattered in their home states. That led to many firsts and the realization for Paxton and the new officer team that the National FFA had been following them, so to speak. It was an interesting way to begin one's year, and that's where the two of us began our visit. So Paxton, obviously it's been quite a year, but take people back to November. There wasn't a National FFA convention this year, so you were at a home in Boonville, Missouri, along with a lot of past and current state FFA officers. How did you find out that you were going to be a new national officer? Yeah, it was a different experience for sure, but it was pretty incredible. Um, we sat down and we watched a live stream at a laptop, uh, and I was surrounded by family and friends, and that meant more to me than anything that I can ever um, you know, put into words, I guess I should say. And so having the chance to have the people that helped me get there um, with me, by my side, in the back of the screen, uh, downstairs in the basement, that was a pretty tremendous opportunity. And so uh, it was an incredible experience, and National FFA pulled off a surprise of a lifetime. And so after we were elected... Um, obviously, there was that element of surprise, but then uh, they'd actually surprised all of the newly elected officers with their new national officer jackets at the home. And so uh, they were set up outside. They had a live broadcast already fed into RFD TV, and it, uh, it was just like a traditional jacket ceremony, but at our executive secretary's house there in Boonville. 
So just literally minutes after you see it on TV, somebody pulls up in the driveway with a jacket, and I don't think you even had your shoes on when you went out in the driveway in the cold. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I had no shoes on, and I actually had a brown belt on because I wasn't expecting it. But they had been stocking those houses for uh, a matter of hours, and so they had been sitting just over the hill to make sure they had the right location. And, in fact, they had watched us all uh, roll in that night, and so it was pretty incredible the way they pulled that off. So since that election, of course, there were still a lot of COVID protocols going on. You did some training, but really it's not until, what, April that you're really able to get out and now start traveling to meet members and chapters? Yeah, so we did our onboarding process up until um, December. We had Christmas off, and then after that, we actually just moved to Indianapolis. And so we've lived there for three, almost four months now, I guess I should say. And so um, this is actually kind of our first chance to get on the road. We're hitting some state conventions and some chapter banquets. But, yeah, that training process took uh, several weeks, and then we've done virtual engagements until then. So um, National FFA Week, which takes place in February, was virtual. And, um, you know, myself, I interacted with 17 state associations that week through a virtual platform. So we've still been doing similar work, uh, just altering how we do that. The mission's always stayed the same, but the way we've done it is has shifted just a bit this year. Of course, with COVID, you've not been able to perhaps travel exactly like it, but we're getting back to normal. What has surprised you the most about being a national officer that perhaps you didn't, you've been in a way preparing for this for a long time, what has been unexpected so far? You know, I think the fact that the world's really small, um, you know, as you go throughout your time in FFA, you go to different conferences and conventions, National Convention, Washington Leadership Conference, um, and those different leadership conferences, you meet all these people, but then you remember them. And I think it's really cool to come back as a national officer, and I might be sitting in on a chapter visit, and it might even be the advisor at this point in time, but they might be someone that I went to WLC with or to National Convention with. And so that's been really cool. But then in addition to that, um, you know, there have been some tremendous projects that I've got the chance to hear about. There was a group in Hawaii. I did their state convention virtually this year, and there was a group in Hawaii that two members during COVID, when everything was remote, were able to develop a sustainable ag system in the country of Uganda. Um, off of a grant that they received. The grant was $200. It was a small grant, but they built that system. Uh, and, and there are lots of projects like that around the country that I've heard of this year that have just been tremendous. And, and it's blown me away that even in a time right now, like right now, where everything is uncertain, their FFA members still uh, you know, pushing forward and finding new ways to do things and still make an impact on the world. What's your favorite part of, I'll call it the job <laughs> that you do? Yeah, uh, you know, I think the favorite, my favorite part of the job, so to speak, um, is, you know, when you... Sometimes, uh, for instance, with these virtual chapter engagements, when we come in, it'll be a complete surprise to those students. And so sometimes when you get into that chapter engagement uh, and they pop you up on the smart board, watching those students' eyes light up, uh, because right now we're all grasping for straws. It's something to do. Some schools are completely virtual. Some schools are hybrid. Some schools are full in person. It just kind of depends. And so when you see a student's eyes light up uh, and they get excited about something, it's just it's an unforgettable experience. Do you think that there will be things that have changed during the last year and a half or so that we will continue to do because you've learned how to either present it that way or whether it's the ag education or agriculture looking at a whole, what things have changed that you say, wow, we perhaps should have been thinking about doing this in, in, the, in the first place. Yeah, you know, Andrew, uh, it's wild because a year ago none of us knew what Zoom even was, and then now we're all pros at it. And so I think that that's going to stick around. Um, the fact that we can engage so many members in so many locations in such a short amount of time I think is going to stick around. Um, 
like for instance with FFA week, typically national officers pick a state or two and they travel to that state for the week and they do engagements around the state. And so this year, like I said, I visited 17 chapters. I don't think we're going to go to the full virtual model in the future, but I could definitely see, uh, you know, maybe one day out of that week or a day before the week starts or after the week ends where they do virtual engagements and open it up to the nation where chapters that maybe wouldn't be able to afford to have a national officer come in otherwise can still get that experience, uh, whether that be a virtual workshop, keynote, words of encouragement, whatever it might look like. Um, but having that presence in the classroom, I think something that we've really embraced this year and it's something that uh, we've seen the benefits of it, and I think that those will stick around. I know that you don't make the decision, and the decision's not been yet made, but what about National Convention coming up this fall? Man, I have high hopes. Um, we've been watching Indianapolis and the way that the city operates. Um, for instance, like with March Madness, that came in, and they were able to successfully pull off March Madness. Um, there's something called Gen Con this summer, where they will bring people in and other little conferences, a bit smaller than what March Madness was um, in Indianapolis. And so we're watching the way that they're doing that, the protocols that they have, and, and hoping that we can emulate that in some form of a live National Convention. Convention. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if it's even possible. Uh, but at this point in time, my teammates uh, and I, we've all held out. We're all hopeful. Um, and we're just crossing our fingers and hoping, hoping, hoping that they're able to pull something off this October. You're about halfway through your officership as a national officer. Has it changed at all what you see yourself doing in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I started it, uh, I'm an ag education major at the University of Missouri. And so when I started national office, my hope was to teach ag for a few years. And then eventually my goal was actually to transition into teacher education. I thought that that would be a unique thing. I liked the research side of things. And, and while I do think that's an intriguing career, and, and I don't know that I won't go down that path, um, having the chance, we did a virtual D.C. week, and then we'll get back out to the Hill hopefully this summer some. Um, but in that position, getting the chance to advocate for our national legislative priorities to those um, senators and representatives and, and even people in the USDA, and we met with some people in the White House. Um, those opportunities, I realized, uh, through those opportunities, I realized that there's a need to have some people out there that can tell the story of agriculture. So my hope now um, is to possibly end up in D.C. Uh, and work in uh, the legislature side of things in some way, shape, or form. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like at this point in time, but that's kind of where I'm leaning now. You can tell me now if we're at a membership high. I know that it's pretty high uh, if it's not. So how has FFA been able to achieve that? Uh, Certainly beginning as an organization that was totally production agriculture, but still ag-focused, it has been able to grow. What's kept that growth going? Yeah, so we are at an all-time high. Um, Right now we have 760,113 active members across the nation, and so um, we do continue to grow, uh, and we're seeing that still as the trend. And so I think really, Andrew, the thing that does that the most is the fact that it doesn't matter if you are from a production ag background or not. There's still some way, shape, or form for you to be involved in agriculture um, regardless of your background through this organization. So um, a lot of schools now have school farms where they can show up and they can create an SAE or a supervised agricultural experience project that's hands-on in agriculture. For some students, that might look like um, you know taking or claiming ownership to one cow that's at the school farm. Uh, for Doster, that, took, uh, or that meant claiming ownership of one beehive that was at the school. Those types of experiences are bringing more students in, allowing them to feel connected to the organization, uh, even beyond just the chapter level. And and then when they get that little bit of success as they go throughout or they learn something and their eyes light up and that light bulb goes off in their mind, that's what keeps them in the organization. So I think that that's why our membership is increasing, because more students are getting those opportunities to feel at home, feel connected, and, and achieve some success in this organization. So conversely, what's the biggest challenge, do you think, right now for FFA? 
the obvious one would be COVID. Um, with the way schools look, it's really hard to keep students engaged, and, and teachers are doing their best across the nation. Um, but it's really hard when a member can't go see something like Washington Leadership Conference or National Convention. Um, those are what draw students in. The light shows, the, the sounds, the sights, and then hearing those like retiring addresses and those types of things, a lot of times that's what when you talk to a student is the highlight of their FFA career. And so the fact that that's moved to a virtual platform, um, some students just don't learn in that way. And so um, that's one of the difficulties that everyone's facing right now in the world. And so I think that that's a big challenge that we're facing right now. And, and I'll be curious to see what it does to our membership. Um, but then beyond just COVID, I think a challenge that we're facing as an organization is how do we continue to expand our horizons and meet more members where they're at? So, um, that's been a topic of discussion for our entire country. Um, you know, how can we reach out to more students, make them feel accepted and welcome in the organization? And so, to be quite honest, I don't have all the answers there, Andrew, but uh, we're working towards it. We're listening and we're trying to figure out the best plan of attack to move forward. In about six months when you retire, hopefully it'll be on stage and not just totally virtual. What's the biggest thing that Paxton Dahmer takes away from his time in, in FFA? You know, I think... Um, looking back or I guess at that point I'd be looking back uh, my hope is that as a national FFA officer I've been able to just kind of expand my own horizons so I come from a small town in southwest Missouri um, very production ag background and I haven't seen a lot of other avenues in agriculture so um, for instance like when I talked about Hawaii doing their convention I learned a lot about Hawaiian agriculture there and it's completely different than what I've grown up around and so my hope is that I can look back on my year as a national officer and recognize all of those points of knowledge that I've gained as a national officer from interacting with these people and hopefully collecting bits of knowledge from them as well and being able to apply that to my own life moving forward. We should soon know what the next national FFA convention will look like as the organization determines how they might handle crowds of students and visitors in Indianapolis. Regardless, Paxton and the team have adapted to continue meeting students, whatever the method may be. Well, here on the farm, we've been wetter than many parts of the Midwest, although I know many locations received rain over the May 8th, 9th weekend. We now have all of our corn in the ground and are getting started on the beans. I think we've been a little later getting our crop in compared to other parts of the nation. The weather is starting to warm a bit, and that's bringing the seed out of the ground now. I see many good stands on my travels so far. Be sure to connect with myself and Farming the Countryside on Facebook, as well as our daily American Countryside broadcasts on Facebook, Twitter, and your local radio stations. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.